Welcome to Great Quarter Guys, Episode 6. I'm Seth Holm. I'm your host. This is a podcast about the intersection of transportation, finance, and investing. Today with me, as usual, I have my co-hosts, Kevin Hill and Andrew Cox. What's up, guys? Not much. Been a hectic day. It has. It has. Busy week for us, right? A very busy week, but it's been a very good week. Yeah. We're getting stuff done. Um, so we are uh, live and we're on video, so you guys get to see how the sausage is made. This is, yes. the, uh, this is the first episode. So let's talk about what we got going on today. Uh, first of all, we've got our business model breakdown series. Today we're going to break down a shipper. You guys excited to break down a shipper? Very much so, yes. Yeah. So uh, we broke down an LTL. Uh, we broke down a flatbed provider. Now we're going to go with the shipper. We're going to do Kraft Heinz. Uh, this is Buffett's Warren Buffett's rare misstep. So we're going to break this one down. Then we're going to get into uh, Goldman Sachs initiated on the trucking sector this past week. They really like it. We're going to talk about why. Uh, then we're going to get into um, the Celadon bankruptcy and the fraud leading up to that bankruptcy. Uh, and then we'll hit on our last two segments that we normally do, the DHL supply chain PPI index. And we'll also do our long short segment. But let's uh, let's kick it off with Kraft Heinz. Um, so maybe I'll give the backstory here and then we'll jump right into it. So Kraft Heinz has had a difficult, um, I'd call it three to five year uh, mm-hmm. struggle here. So um, Kraft Heinz is about 25% owned by both uh, Warren Buffett uh, and Berkshire Hathaway and then 3G Capital, which is a very famous private equity firm out of Brazil that's known for their cost cutting, which is called zero-based budgeting. And that's very similar to PSR, Precision Scale Scheduled Railroading, uh, for all the transportation people out there, basically trying to minimize expenses as much as possible. And these two businesses... Uh, got together and merged. I want to say it was about five years ago. And when they did that, they generate, they tacked on a lot of debt. Uh, and then lately, the company's been under some pressure in terms of its frozen and its packaged food. They had to cut the dividend. They've missed earnings. They've had some accounting scandals and all this kind of stuff, which we'll get into. But guys, let's start off from the top. So why, uh, why does uh, Kraft Heinz find themselves where they are today? And why are they under secular pressure? Well, there's a couple of things at play here. Uh, one, you have a, a private label problem, or not a problem, a problem for them. Where it is a problem. Yeah. It's, well, okay. Yeah, we'll call it a problem. And uh, the problem for Kraft Heinz is that uh, in the U.S., I think it's like 20% of all brands on the shelves in grocery stores are private labels That's uh, compared to Europe, where it's like 50%. Uh, and there's a, a movement, especially in my generation, of people that they're really just going for the cheapest thing that they can get. Uh, and I guess we don't really see the difference between a Kraft Heinz for. Uh, a craft cheese for four twenty and a regular uh, an off brand for for two dollars. Right. So they're facing pressure there. Uh, they're also facing pressure from this uh, kind of digital native, uh, younger focused brands that are focused on local and craft foods. They're not really shopping on the on the inside of the stores with a lot of craft stuff is. They're on the outside of the store. That's the fresh. huge one. So yeah, so craft is is um, you know they're in the frozen, the package, and the processed food, the center of the grocery store. So. When I used to cover this space, anytime, if you think about the traffic in the center of the store, when you walk in, uh, I shop at Publix. I think, where do you guys shop? Walmart? Uh, Publix, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, you think Publix, about, yeah. if you think about it, like whenever you walk in there, all the traffic's at the perimeter of the store. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. your fresh vegetables, your fresh meats, your deli, your prepared foods, your fresh dairy and all that kind of stuff. And so this that whole trend is probably the main one but yeah you're hitting on it and then in that private label they've also got these enormous price gaps right and mm-hmm. so you have to have this branding power so you use a good example there with that cheese where uh you know if it's double the price for a bag of cheese that's going to make you think twice 
But mm-hmm. we talked about just before we got in here outside. I think we're all believers in the ketchup. On that, on yeah, the there's time. a few. Yeah, brands. definitely in the ketchup. Yeah, so, they're, they're kind of squeezed in the middle, right? So, uh, on the one side, you have the cost conscious grocer or cost conscious consumers. Yep. That are price conscious, right? And then you have the boutique shoppers, right, who don't care to spend a little bit more for local. Kind of that that niche brand, natural kind of thing. and organic, natural kind of, and organic, kind of whole food shopper, right? Yeah, and and Kraft and, and Heinz and and kind of the people who are trapped in the center of the store are are just stuck in the middle, right? That they're stuck in the middle of that. That they're heavily processed, um, mainstream brands that are really falling out of uh, favor, falling out of flavor. Um, nice pun. Yeah, yeah. No, right. Uh, with, with both of those, so there's they're they're getting squeezed. Yeah. Their success, their previous success, really is is a drawback right now. Yeah, and and think about it. So this is still one thing that I, I forgot to mention. But this this is an enormous company. So this stock has fallen like sixty or seventy percent, and it's been a black eye for Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway and Three G. But um, you know they've got like twenty six billion dollars in sales. Just to give everybody a feel. They've got eight uh, $1 billion brands, and I think I've got them down here. So they've got Kraft, which is the cheese and the mac and cheese. They've got Heinz, which is obviously the ketchup and the condiments. They've got Oscar Mayer. They've got Maxwell House Coffee. They've got Planters Nuts, Velveeta, Philadelphia, and Jell-O. And so if you think about how many of those brands do you guys recall being in like a Whole Foods? When you go into a whole, well, food. I don't think I've ever been in a Whole Foods. <laughs> really? Have you yeah, not? maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe you like not? once or twice. I don't go often. I mean, it's the it's only like one I can think is, is Heinz ketchup might be in there. I, I think so. I, I don't think any of the other brands are. Yeah, because it, Whole Foods specializes in that boutique, uh, high end, locally sourced, organic mm-hmm. foods, and uh, and all the grocery stores are trying to catch up with, or they have been trying to catch up with Whole Foods for. For years now yeah so yeah and so another thing that's been going on here right is um that they have uh they've been uh in 3g they're famous for their cost cutting much like railroads right they when you cut advertising spending that slows down that brand spend so their sales have really stagnated because they're advertising uh we were andrew and i were looking at mm-hmm. a chart compared to the rest of cpg uh you know in packaged foods uh, they spend something like only three percent of sales on advertising versus the average for the that that space of five or six and like eight or nine percent for Hershey. So that's one thing that it's going to be hard to change. They brought in a new CEO, Miguel Patricio. I think they're going to be more focused on marketing and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, how what do we? You, what do you think of that strategy? Right, you're going to cut your marketing, right, and you're not going to reinvest in your products and innovation. Right. And what if you do both of those things, what do you think the outcome would be? The initial outcome was good. They had margins that were like uh, 800 to 1,000 basis points, mm-hmm. Andrew, above their mm-hmm. peers. The problem is once you've done that, yeah. then there's no low-hanging fruit left. Then you're just stuck with stagnant sales and really low cost. It's kind of a short-term solution and not really building a sustainable long-life business, right? You're, you're kind of robbing from the future to to, to pay for the, the present correct right? right and so but now they're going to flip that on its head and maybe andrew you've sent us this article maybe you could talk a little bit about what the new ceo brings yep. to the table he's an ab InBev guy which has ties to 3g 
Mm-hmm. Um, what, what's he going to bring to the table? Yeah, Patricio is like a, he's a, a marketing executive. He had been at AB InVev for a few years. And before that, Johnson & Johnson and, and a, a lot of a long string of massive companies. And he is known as a marketing guy. Some of his peers had said that he's never uh, he's never sacrificed creativity in the name of cost. And he was actually the one that greenlit the Dilly Dilly campaign at Bud Light. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. We love that. <clears throat> oh, yeah. yeah, it's it's hysterical. And and, and honestly, the, the initial reaction Super to that was, was kind of mixed. But then they just kept going with it yeah. uh, because he believed in it and he believed in something outside the box. So I think they're going to need to take an approach like that, which it seems to be a, a new day and age where they have they seem to be moving away at least a little bit from this shrewd financial operator uh, status as the 3G kind of... Um, as it does to people, and they might be going towards a more creative approach with uh, with Patricio. Which inherently means they're going to actually try to grow the business again, right? Yeah, yeah it seems so. Yeah. Take away from the accountants, right? Yeah. I, and I, in I, the past, I, they were I, all acquisition-focused. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, take it away from the accountants. That was another problem with this. It really it, it is, yeah, because accountants kind of ran wild. And this right? and Celadon have that. In, in uh, they, they, they do, but I, I don't like brands and companies that are run by the, the financials or the financial people or the accountants. Financial engineering. Financial That's engineering, right? Financial like, engineering like, stories. I, I like people who are marketing first, sales first, growth first, right? Or out there. This is a change and, in tune from one Kevin Hill, though. Here, I thought he, I thought you were a value investor. These companies I, don't come. Yeah, I, 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 I growth companies and the so so you go others. from from the financial people, the accountants to the, the marketing person. It's a great value buy, right? Yeah, because yeah. they're so they're turning the ship. They've had some bad news, some bad quarters. Yeah. Uh, but they have some uh, some brands that are synonymous with uh, with all American consumers. And it's time to go out and market those some more. And they've also got, there's some similarities here with our Dasky uh, story as well. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they were heavily focused on acquisitions. They tried to acquire unsuccessfully Unilever, which is mm-hmm. a gigantic European uh, household. They own like Dove soap and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. um, a couple years ago. And then Andrew and I read that they, you know, uh, Piper Jaffray put out a report where they were speculating that maybe they buy PepsiCo or Kellogg, I believe it was. But mm-hmm. now they're really focused. They've got a lot of debt. They've slashed the dividend. Now they're focused on regrowing the business and refocused on operations and maybe putting those acquisitions on hold. And if they do acquisitions, I think it makes sense. I, I think I read it somewhere uh, as well is to to get those organic brands, yeah. those superstore brands sure. that have high growth and, and be able to to roll them in and market them uh, extremely effectively. They have the retail space. You know, they have all the, the relationships, the relationships. The space. Yeah. Yeah, the, a lot of their peers have done the same over the, mm-hmm. the last couple of years as uh, as far from like AB InVev going and getting craft beer brands to mm-hmm. uh, other um, Coca Cola, right? Coca Cola and Pepsi. The only problem, buying. though, I can give an I can it, I can yeah. give examples of where that didn't work. So uh, Constellation Brands, right? They're the big owner of all the Mexican beer brands, the Coronas, the Modelos, the Specials uh, of the world, and they went out and bought this company, Ballast Point. Have you guys heard I of do know yeah, Ballast Point? Yeah, and they paid a billion dollars for it, okay. and now reportedly they're, they're they sold it to some private equity firm in Chicago for an undisclosed amount and and it was stipulated that it had to be undisclosed. undisclosed you know, right. So that's never a good sign. The risk the risk when you go that natural organic, it can be faddish and you can overpay. That's the risk. Yeah, and that is like will the trend continue, right? Correct. These, that's huge. Yeah. But but a billion what's a billion here to the craft Heinz, right? I <laughs> well mean, instead of what, fifty three, fifty four billion for Unilever, that that could turn into uh, the, the biggest dog out there, small. right? Yeah, it's a it, small bet. You know, it's a small bet. You know, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some, but 
if you keep on going after gigantic it's a bolt-on acquisition yeah approach, yeah right? instead of like rather than transformational deals mergers of equals right right i do, I do have a question for you guys is uh how much? How many of these brands do you think have true loyalty to them? Uh, you know, we we talk about the ketchup. I think it does. Seth and I have talked about Philadelphia cream cheese. That that I one think certainly we're on does. Board on those too. Oh yeah. You know? no. um, Oscar Mayer. I think the Kraft uh, mac and cheese. Personally, I don't like buying the generic mac and cheese. I might go with the Annie's mac and cheese. The uh, yeah, the, and that they just got bought uh, in the last I think year. General Mills. General Mills. Yeah. General Mills. Yeah. But I would go with mac and cheese. Just looking down this list, mac and cheese, uh, ketchup. Uh, hot dogs, I generally, I think I might go with the branded hot dogs. What about you? Mm. Oh, I always I'm do. A, I'm, I'm not going with the generic. I don't no, like hot no, dogs no, no. Often. If you and, know and how coffee, hot dogs are made, you didn't And coffee, go. I'm not a Maxwell Health no. drinker, but I, I'm definitely a I branded brand, coffee yeah, person. I'm not drinking uh, in-house brand uh, coffee. No way. Yeah, and planters peanuts. I, I do like planters. I'm, I'm off the planters because of the price. Right. I mean, the peanuts are, you know, nuts are so expensive as is. To, to add another 20, 30% to a brand, I can't do it. I buy the off brand of the nuts. Because the nuts sure. take so much water and they're like a freaking yeah, Christmas. And they're growing, they're growing <laughs> almonds. <laughs> yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah. It robs California of all its water. Yeah, all so, those almond um, trees. Yeah. yeah right. right. Okay. So that that's a good play into our next question. So I, I think we're in agreement. They do have some good brands here. Yes. Mm-hmm. Stock's cheap. It's gotten annihilated. It's down mm-hmm. It's down like 70%. It's in Kevin's wheelhouse now. I think it's... I know, right? Well, I, I like it. It's dated. It's got 11% buy ratings from Wall Street. That, That's uh, great. I sent you guys a Barron's thing. I think that compares to 55% for the Dow Jones stocks. I mean, there's no buys. Trades at 12 times earnings. It used to trade at 25 times earnings. It's got a five point something percent dividend yield, which is now sustainable because they cut it, and now it's well covered by the cash flow of the business. Uh, and so they do have some good brands, and a lot of that, that sort of uh, you know private label transition, and this is all well known stuff and well established. Mm-hmm. So the question is, is I mean, this seems they've got a new CEO in there. Is this fixable? Do they have good brands? And and moving forward, and is this a better story? So rather than Old Dominion, which was a well-oiled machine, we're looking with Dasky and this one, we're looking more at turnaround stories. Do you guys think that there's a turnaround story here? I, I definitely do because they have a great brands. Uh, they can get into some contract manufacturing for private labels, which they do, right? So basically, Kraft Heinz, all their, their premium brands are made by their own manufacturing facilities. I think most, if not all, of their private label that they sell to the stores, you know, Publix, maybe Publix uh, labeled, is through contract mar- manufacturing, which is a higher margin, mm-hmm. uh, which is really good. Um, but they they have the, the, the cash and hopefully with the, the, the marketing CEO to be able to turn around the perception of of those brands. Yeah, I echo that. I think they, again, have some really good brands in there. I think they have brand loyalty. Uh, but the one thing that I do want to mention is that a lot of their their brand loyalists are probably a bit older, like these Planters brands, these Philadelphia cheese brands. They've been around for a long time. Yep. So I think if they want to appeal to people my age and younger, they need they need Patricio to do a good job with this advertising. New variations uh, yes, of old agreed. products. Yeah, I think I, I, might be that too. So if you think, and Andrew and I were talking about um, one, one great example of how to just instantly make this a better business is... Um, so my wife likes to eat bagels. Now she's pregnant, so um, hopefully she's yeah. not listening. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> so, you know, the tub of cream cheese, rather than the, the box, it's double the price and they give mm-hmm. you less of it. So you can play around with the packaging sizes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, nobody wants, you know, old cream cheese that's gone dry. Um, so you can bring new variations. Right. Um, 
on old products. And the other thing that's so fascinating about this is it's really a case study in Warren Buffett's investing style. So he used to have a $20 billion gain on this thing. He's now slightly underwater, uh, just to give you a sense of how far this thing has fought, uh, fallen. But I mean, this is quintessential Buffett here. It's a uh, classic Americana, uh, old brands that, um, you know, could grow for 20 or 30 year runway that just weren't going to change. Everybody's going to have that Heinz ketchup. And I think that that's true going forward. And so maybe this is a good in- entry point when everybody's on the other side of the boat here. It's always but he's taken a big black eye on this one. I mean, this has been. Yeah. Yeah. It's and it's always the, the best entry point is when everyone is on the other side. I agree. So I have a question for you because you're an uh, expert on, on breaking down companies. Is this? Uh, do you think Kraft Heinz is possibly a melting ice cube? I don't. Um, I, I mean, no. I think of melting ice cubes as um, there's there's classes of melting ice cubes, and I'm kind of famous around here at Freight Waves for <laughs> melting ice. Let me, let's, why don't we start off? Have we actually told people what a melting no, ice cube fine. is? No, let's define. No, let's define. Please okay, define. So a melting ice cube is like a mature company that is slowly or fast shrinking mm-hmm. every single year in yeah. and year out. So basically, this is a company like if you're doing a mo- financial model. You're like, there's no way in the world I could ever met, I could ever model this company growing or mm-hmm. have any um, expectations that they could grow. I mean, one one example that that I think is a good example that will resonate with our listeners is GameStop. Now that is mm-hmm. a melting ice cube. You've got all the this the uh, digital video games are going digital. They're mm-hmm. going direct to the manufacturers. I don't play them anymore, but um, you know, you download that game straight from the Xbox. You don't go out to GameStop, and so. A lot of those melting ice cubes are also synonymous with something called value traps, right? So everybody says, well, you know, it, it trades at three times earnings. Well, usually the, va- the, the value traps, it's the same thing as a value trap. A melting ice cube is, is priced low for a reason. It, it, and it is, and right? I don't think this is it. Because, yeah. because I, one thing I love uh, about this is also um, I was, you know, t- talking with Andrew about this and um, I think we're certainly closer to a recession than we are from far farther away from one, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's been 10 years. Yeah, it's, no the, it's the only decade since the 1950s, which we haven't had uh, in American history, that we really? haven't had a recession. So, um, you know, food is a is that defensive category, man. It's like utilities. It's like your cable bill. It's like cigarettes. I, I love this. Uh, it's just sort of like a safer play, maybe going into a downturn. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's it's a lot of this is comfort food that people will are willing to rather than eating out. Maybe mm-hmm. you'll trade up to some of these brands uh, when you're feeling a little down and you have to eat in on a Friday night. And so and one of the, the, the brands on this list is definitely comfort food, right? Uh, well, they we have Belvita. <laughs> Belvita. I don't yeah, think I there's. Do love there's the shells. Yeah, I know. Right. That, that is, that's, that's bunker. It, it bunker is bunker food. food yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> All right. So, um, what about, um, we don't, we don't have a lot here. Um, they do cause they, they don't disclose a lot of stuff. We were pouring through their 10 K's and stuff looking yeah. for that really meaty meat on the bone as Kevin would say in that transportation angle. And we couldn't really find any great ones, but we did talk to, uh, someone in-house Andrew who, uh, who had worked with Kraft Heinz and basically it was unanimous positive feedback, right? What, yeah. were, what were some of the other takeaways? Yeah, it seemed like they are, they're a good customer. They don't push too hard on the carriers, but uh, with that said, they do have the size and, and, and the scale to um, dictate terms, but yet they don't really push too hard. Uh, one thing that, that, that they said was 
that they never, it's a good customer because it's not cyclical at all throughout the year. You know, yep. if you're with a steady 52 week volume, right. If you're with a water or a, or a Pepsi or a Coke brand, like they're going to peak in the summer, it's going to be a massive volume surge in the summer where you don't really have that uh, with Kraft Heinz. Their food is eaten almost the same every week uh, through the 52 weeks. Kevin, you got anything to add on? Yeah, so twenty six billion in cells. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. So, right. so, so my rule of thumb is twenty six billion of cells. I take ten percent. You know, I might be off a little bit, and it works better if if you're talking about a, a company with fifty million dollars in cells, as a transportation. Right? As in, tra- sorry, yeah, I like yes, that. As in transportation. So you 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 at fifty million, you'd be say oh, probably five million, right? Uh, at twenty six billion, it's a lot. It doesn't really matter if it's two point six billion or one point eight billion. It's a large customer that runs multimodal, right? So they do a lot of dry vans. They do a lot of refrigerated units too, and they are one of those blue chip clients that that you plaster on the logo and in your sales presentation and say we work with Kraft Heinz, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's not it's a privilege cool, to do business with them. That's what we heard. That was exactly yeah. yeah. It's privilege to do business with them. And unlike other other companies with zero based budgeting, mm-hmm. and I don't know we, CBB we, CBB right? You know that zero based where um, where they just don't increase the cost uh, from year to year in the budgets for literally yeah. any expense. Yeah, I can explain that. So yeah, yeah. Um, zero based budgeting, similar to precision scheduled railroading, is so what a lot of companies do is they'll take uh, common size income statements. So they'll take their expense line items, divide them by sales as a percentage, and then they'll target that same percentage of sales. So, you know, uh, if I'm running a brokerage business, uh, I want to spend 20% of my net revenue on hiring people and on wages and benefits. Zero based budgeting throws that out the window, right? And says, how much do we need to spend? Start from bottom up uh, forecast and spend as little as possible on every single line item. I mean, 3G is famous for literally monitoring uh, how many pages people are printing in the office. Um, You know, know, you can imagine. So, so hence the marketing spend come down, comes down, sales comes down and you're in a pickle. Yeah, and um, they laid off. They I, I think it was twenty five percent. I'm sure they do. Maybe, yeah. the, um, but they they the 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 workforces of both Kraft and Heinz shrunk by twenty five percent after three um, G's involvement. Yeah, so if you're a transportation uh, provider, whether you're a carrier or a broker, and you're going in there, that's a, a pretty tough uh, environment to go into because it's zero based budgeting, right? So the you think oh it, it's going to that's be very point. cheap freight. It's going to be hard to work with. Now there's other three G companies that that or out there that once uh, 3G came in and did zero-based budgeting, it was much more difficult to work with these companies. I won't name them, but they're much more difficult. They're very much tighter on their transportation costs and put costs above service, right? But from what I've, what I've talked, I, I never personally uh, worked with Kraft Heinz, but from, from our conversations inside and outside, mm-hmm. uh, some of my, my former broker buddies, uh, is that they're pretty good. They're pretty good to work, work for. You know, you don't have the, the heavy fines. You don't have, you know, DC moves. Uh, pretty steady. Yeah, pretty and steady. And they're so big that they have mm-hmm. to use a lot of carriers. Oh, yeah. You know? they, they use a, people, and that's another reason mm-hmm. why when the stock gets bombed out, that it becomes interesting because they're not going away. No. Um, they might shrink by 1%, but they're not going away. And the, and the other thing that a lot of people think, oh, these are just, you know, Procter & Gamble was in a very similar situation. They make, you know, Tide, Old Spice, Duracell batteries. Everyone had declared them, um, you know, in Gillette, which was a big problem yep. from the Dollar Shave Clubs of the world and mm-hmm. the Harry's Razors and all that. 
And I think that stock's up like 75%. And so what they did is they just started growing the top line again and they moved. That. So mm -hmm. to me, that's a template for what this could become uh, moving forward. Um, anything else you guys want to add on this before we go? No, I think I, I, I'm good. Yeah, yeah. That, was, that was a good one. Um, so secondly, um, uh, let's next segment here. Goldman Sachs initiated on the trucking sector on all three big trucking companies, the biggest publicly traded ones, Knight Swift, Werner, Snyder, Advise. They love where we are in the cycle, and they think these stocks are cheap. What do you guys? What do you guys think about that? We're at the trough. Yeah, and we could be in the trough for a long, long time. It could get worse. Um, so I guess it's not technically a trough, but it's is you know it, it's it's a trough. It's rates are at a trough, and as we know from your research report that you wrote a couple months ago, yeah, Seth, is that trucking stocks trade on spot market. Correct. Right. Right. It's just strictly on stock. Uh, spot market, spot markets, you know, dollar, it's, it's rebounded a little yeah, bit. It's in come up here. Yeah, yep. it, it has. Um, but we're, we're, we're kind of at the bottom. So uh, it, it's a good time to initiate. It's a good time to uh, to, to jump into trucking or yeah. for, for Goldman Sachs to, to jump into that that research. Yeah, these we talk about the capacity cycle in freight lasting somewhere between 12 and 18 months where people come in, come into the market, flood the market, rates come down. Uh, capacity increases, and then in 18 months, people leave the market. And you know, uh, I think that we're nearing that end of the capacity entry, and these these people are starting to leave the market. We've seen used truck prices come down in the last couple of weeks. So I think from a price standpoint and a capacity standpoint, it's a, they're they're in really good shape. These big guys. I think we're yeah. four, sorry. I think okay. we're about 14, 15 months into the downward cycle right now. So a rebound uh, should should Q1 come soon. And, and yeah. Did, yeah, yeah. Unless there's a recession. Right. And um, I, I talked about this on FreightWaves Now this week. Um, they have a really interesting test that works. It's perfect when you backtest it uh, over the last four or five cycles. Well, I want to hear more. Yeah. So the, um, I was reading this uh, earlier in the week. And so there's three things that need to happen for the trucking market to hit a bottom. You need uh, new Class 8 truck orders to be in the low 10,000 range. Check. Check. You need spot rates that are, quote, they use the term decidedly negative. I, Check. Th I think that uh, down 35% year over year, that qualifies. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. And then you finally need contract rates to inflect negative, which we saw that happen Check. three or four months again. So you're three for three. And so basically what they say, when you do that, you actually want to buy, they think that based on the ISM being below 50, right now typically trucking recessions last four to six quarters when the ISM is below 50. We're two to three in. Now, that, that sounds like, hey, I'm two to three quarters early. No, what their statistical and historical analysis showed was you actually want to buy halfway through that trucking downturn. So they think right now is the perfect entry point. That, that is, uh, I, I can't argue with that at all. I, I, I like that. I hope they're right. I yeah. think for all of us, mm -hmm. I, I hope they're right. Um, okay, so um, moving on to, uh, well, this is definitely big news, and Freight Waves has been all over this when we actually broke the news. Um, yeah, broke it Friday uh, night. That's right. And so the Celadon. Celadon fraud and bankruptcy. So, Kevin, why don't you take it away on this one? What are your thoughts? So, I mean, the, the bankruptcy is a, a terrible human story. It's uh, it's, it's always bad when a, a major carrier goes bankrupt. Uh, this was the largest public, largest truckload bankruptcy and certainly largest, of course, public truckload bankruptcy. But it has its roots three years earlier three, four years earlier in the last trucking recession. And so what we did, all three of us, I think we, we've all read the indictment that mm -hmm. was handed down 
uh, last week, actually, just a few days before uh, the bankruptcy news broke uh, about the accounting scandals at Celadon back in 2016. And it was, uh, I found it quite fascinating, actually. <laughs> I, I found it quite blatant. <laughs> yeah, I know. Quite blatant and fascinating. And it reminded me of there's a very famous book in the finance world called Financial Shenanigans. I've it would be that. a case study in that book. It, it will be. It will be. So, so what it was is, and, and correct me if, if I'm wrong, because it's, it's a little confusing, um, but they had uh, some, some 2012 trucks. And I can't remember the, the manufacturer's name. Yeah, I can't remember. Uh, Zach was talking yeah, about it earlier. Yeah. Max, Max Engine Pro, or Max something. Max Pro so, Engine, yeah. Yeah, Max Pro. I, I guess it had uh, a lot of uh, a lot of maintenance issues. Is is maybe what they call a lemon in, in, in yeah, the car Zach, world. Zach he said it, in well. two years it falls apart. Yeah, two years it, it falls apart. So they were valued about up $15,000. Three-year, I think they're three-year-old trucks. Mm-hmm. Four-year-olds, maybe. Uh, valued at 15000 $15,000, they didn't know how to get out of it. Um, but if they sold them, they would have taken a, a huge loss. Yeah, because what are three- and four-year-old truck prices normally worth, Kevin? I think uh, right now they're, are, yeah, like thirty-five, forty thousand. 40000 Yeah, maybe higher than that. I think it's, I think it's yeah, like fifty or 60000 yeah, 50 or 60, so. Well, yeah, then that makes sense because they, so they, they, put were, they were underwater by, like, call it forty, fifty thousand $50,000. Huge, huge, right? So, and I think I think the price they had was sixty thousand, right? But but the fair market value is fifteen thousand. The, the book value is sixty thousand. So they worked out a, a deal with a, a truck dealership and certain individuals in there as well to trade those. And basically, the the dealership would buy it for sixty thousand, which is book value. So there's that. Uh, what is that? Thirty forty five thousand dollar. They avoided uh, a marked a lot uh, a mark, markdown, yes, of markdown of that amount. Yeah. yeah. So so they bought out overinflated forty five thousand. They they bought other used trucks, and the dealership marked it up by that forty five thousand dollars, so they wouldn't so, lose any money. So right? maybe they were buying a hundred and fifty thousand dollar truck for more like two hundred thousand. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, they did that uh, a couple. Couple three times, and they, mm-hmm. they they accounted for them as arm's length single transactions, but they're trading. Uh, and then we got to September of 2016, yep. and Andrew, you explained it to me a while ago, and it's probably better than I can explain it. So I'm yeah. Gonna let so you they go from they here. they sent 30 million dollars. Uh, actually, they they requested 30 million dollars from uh, the the truck dealership to pay for assets that they were going to give to the truck dealership, used trucks. This number was inflated. They then took this $30 million and paid down debt immediately the day after because their covenant agreements uh, were up on, on September 30th. So if, if, they, if they didn't get back under their covenant agreement, they would have uh, defaulted on their loans. Uh, so, and then the very next day, on October 1st, 2016, they send the $30 million back to the truck dealership uh, in exchange for new trucks. So they basically just shuffled $30 million back and forth to avoid uh, breaking their uh, covenants. I think they money call that, th- th- yeah, money laundering, three-card money, the, the shell yeah. game. And $30 right? million, this- that's not child's play. That's that's real money right Yeah, there. they only had 20, 24, million, uh, 24 million in net income. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about $30 million and it, they, 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 were, they, they broke their covenant. Right. Their, their covenant, it was a debt-to-earnings ratio. Right. So if they didn't have the right ratio, uh, they would have defaulted, as Andrew just said. Right. So it was really it was an act of desperation. Desperation. Absolutely. Maybe that's the reason why it was so blatant. Mm-hmm. And then the auditors got involved. Uh, they started deleting emails. Uh, and oh, no. my my favorite you know, email that they he sent he said I don't want to sound any alarms. Uh, 
And I'm just like, this This is an in-person <laughs> conversation if you're going to go about fraud, my man. I, I know, right? You know, and I, I guess there's some emails going back and forth where um, the COO or the, the CFO was sending it to the CEO uh, on auto trader or truck trader or whatever classified ads. And, <laughs> and, and they had a bundle of these 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 model and makes uh, of those trucks that were they're selling for $15,000. And he, you know, basically said, oh, we're in a lot of trouble. You know, basically, I mean, that's a paraphrasing, Ooh. but these lads, these lads. So, are gonna, so a lot of this stuff came to light though, because the trucking market turned down twice. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah. The, the first time was, was when the accounting fraud started and then 2019 is the, the second time Yeah, they were delisted sometime in the interim, I can't remember what they've been trading for it's a long time. Yeah, for for quite probably over a year. I think it was sixty cents um, share price uh, early last week. And now it's a penny. Or now two. it's a penny. Yeah, yeah. yeah. penny stock. Okay, so that's and, the uh, the and background. So, and so I've read all these articles. What what is the story uh, for Celadon moving forward? Is it? I think where they're trying to does, liquidation. Where does it stand? I mean, I know they did Chapter well, 11, right? But um, they did they closed I think, down their trucking operation. Wait, I think the Chapter 11 was for one unit, which is Taylor. Maybe Taylor's Transportation. I, I can't think. But but Taylor, uh, which is one of their units. Everything else uh, went into to bankruptcy. And they're, I, the last I heard, they're trying to generate uh, enough uh, profit revenue from that one division to pay off some creditors and everything else is kind of be liquidated. They sold their flatbed division uh, earlier, like yesterday or maybe a couple of days ago to, mm -hmm. to PNS, uh, which is a lar large flatbed operator out of Birmingham, Alabama, I believe. Okay. So. All right. Um, let's do our last two segments that we do every week. Um, we've got good news here along with the Goldman upgrade and initiation at buy um i think they may be on to something at, uh, according to our dhl supply chain pricing power index which moved up for what was it the third or fourth week in a row third i don't even straight remember. week third straight week. and where does it sit now sits at 35 uh we're we're on our way towards the carrier side we're still uh describe the the, the oh, sure. pricing power uh so it goes from zero to 100 uh 100 being full power to the shippers 100 being full power to the carriers 50 being a balanced market uh, and when we first started this, actually three months ago today, it was we started out at, at 45, and it just tumbled from 45 all the way down to 15. It, it yep. sat at 15 for a couple is, weeks, and now it's it's rising yep. back up. So it started falling to zero, uh, which is full shipper power. It got down to 15. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was it was pretty bleak, bleak. And economic. 15 is like Great Depression style uh, score. I mean, we were yeah, we had trouble going below 15. <laughs> we're like, come on, yeah, guys. Yeah. I mean, can yeah. we really knock this down any lower? I, I know it was but, looking bleak for a while. But the last couple of weeks, we have really good news. I mean, there was, when we got to 15, I remember asking both of you, uh, just give me any good news. Mm -hmm. And we couldn't find any good news uh, for the week, but it's flipped. I mean, we couldn't yeah. find really any bad news this week on, well, when I say bad news, bad news for, for carriers. There wasn't. And so maybe expand on that a little bit. What were the what were the positive things this week? Yeah, I mean, the, the, some really good thing is, is uh, our outbound tender volume index, OTVI, is, has stayed steady after the Thanksgiving holiday. And it, in, in part because there's one less week be between Thanksgiving and uh, Christmas this year. But if you look back at last year, right after Thanksgiving and Black Friday, that that index just tumbled. Uh, so volumes really fell off, but volumes are holding steady this year. And then our outbound tender rejection index, with, which is a measure of, of capacity and a, and a measure of uh, carriers' willingness to accept loads, has is stayed up above kind of this 
arbitrary resistance band that we had created at 6%. It stayed above 8% all week, which honestly for me was a bit unexpected. Uh, the same thing if we're doing it, we only have one year comps. If you look at it last year after the holiday, uh, after Thanksgiving and Black Friday, it tumbled again right before uh, Christmas. So both of those holding steady gives us a lot of confidence in the carriers uh, moving forward into 2020. Very good. And the stock prices were responding too. I mean, our, our proprietary truckload, LTL, parcel, and uh, logistics basket were yeah. all scorching. Yeah, um, and, and spot rates are kind of a, uh, a, a, a derivation. And that's why. Yeah, yeah. and they're up. Yeah. I mean, spot rates are up again yeah. this week, so they're up to $1.57. And the year-to-date high. Yeah, yeah. year-to-date high of $1.57, right? Strong. University of Michigan index came out. Oh, consumer yeah. Consumer sentiment. Confidence. Yeah, you want me to Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Um, yeah. So University of Michigan um, Consumer Sentiment Index, they just survey consumers asking how they're feeling about the economy and their future spending intentions. And um, the, the main takeaway here is it's like 97. I think it's specifically 96.8 or something like that. But um, this is um, a 20-year high going all the way back to the Clinton administration when America's economy was booming and we mm-hmm. were running um, – we weren't even running a deficit. We were running a surplus yeah. back then. So good times there for the consumer, which is always a good knock-on effect for trucking, especially maybe that's why we're having a peak season and starting to show up in spot rates. Agreed. The, uh, the American consumer has been the hero story uh, over the past couple of years. You know, when you have industrial and uh, manufacturing in a recession, the, the U.S. consumer has, has kept us up, carrying us on. Right. Onwards and upwards. That's right. Cool. What do we have left? All right. Last segment, long, short, and... Much like, I think, was it last week that we did the Cybertruck? I'm really excited about this first one. The second one's going to be a little bit of a letdown compared to this first one, so I'll go ahead and bring it. Guys, are we long or short Netflix in 2020? Start with you, my man. I am short. And the reason why I'm short, I got Disney Plus, logged in, saw the content on there, and I was like, oh, wow, Netflix is in, they are in trouble. That Netflix is in trouble because it's a really good content library. A lot of things I I, I saw when I was a kid. Yeah. Saw and if you do have have kids, right? Yeah. I mean, and way more of a content library than I was really expecting. Oh yeah, right. They, it was a lot of stuff. It was insane. It was insane. Original content, the old movies, the new movies, uh, and and I think um, with the Disney and its brand, it's Netflix is is in uh, hot water. So. Uh, just before we move on to Anders, so does that mean that you think they'll have a lot of churn or a lot of cancellations, or do you think people will just watch more Disney? Like, in other words, their biz- their subscribers might stay flat, or they might not add a lot, or do you think they're going to lose a lot of subscribers? I don't think they're going to lose a lot, but I think the growth story is uh, much tempered than it was uh, six months ago, a year ago. And uh, Netflix is really about that international, uh, domestic as well, right? Domestic and international growth. And and that's, I, I don't know what part of their valuation is based on growth, but I would imagine it's, it's pretty much almost everything. Yeah. And one thing they may be able to get away with a few be- uh, better than expected quarters here, because Disney Plus, I think it launches in Europe soon, but it's not. Netflix is in what uh, 30, 40 countries, yeah, something like that. Nine- so they might they might have a little window there until Disney Plus launches everywhere, where that international growth is better than expected. And that's what actually the analyst Mike Olson, who I used to meet with at Piper Jaffray, put out a note. He thinks that international subscribers are tracking above, uh, but it's heavily controversial. Where do you stand, Andrew? I'm bursting to say that I'm long on Netflix. Oh, wow. And I'm long for the exact opposite reason of you. I got on Netflix, I got on Disney Plus last night for the first time, and I couldn't find one adult movie that wasn't a superhero movie. So I 
I think for at least, I know that they're going to put, start putting money towards adult content, but currently over Amazon, over Disney, Netflix owns the adult content market. They also own the documentary market. 90% of their growth is coming internationally. They're really focused on, on international, especially Spanish uh, speaking shows. And then on top of that, they just signed a massive deal with my favorite children's uh, network growing up, Nickelodeon. I, I think Nickelodeon's um, Nickelodeon's animated children's series are far better than than Disney's. Whoa! Yeah, wow, that, that's that a strong statement. I think yeah. Disney's movies, obviously, they you know they own Pixar. They have massive movie growth, uh, better. But when and they also have a better like you know the chi- the the live action kids series. I think Disney did a better job there. But Nickelodeon has some incredible shows. And I think that I think that partnership's gonna be great for Netflix. I am very long Netflix uh, over the next. I mean, honestly, forever. Yeah, um, I like your reasons. I don't know if I agree, but I I, I like those reasons. The, the contrarian in me wants to go long Netflix just because everyone hates it again, just mm-hmm. like we talked about. Yeah, that crap. Yeah. But the they have the, to fall though. Before my personal you can go anecdote, long. which is just one, but having a two-year-old, I mean, all of her viewing time has switched to Disney Plus, and it does make me worried. Uh, Netflix moving forward. Um, okay, so second long short segment, guys. Kevin, let's start off with you again. Uh, obviously, we just had the biggest trucking bankruptcy in history this past week. Uh, are it, I hate to put it this way, but are you long or short increasing bankruptcies? Do you think we've sort of seen that we'll set a peak this quarter or in Q1 of 2020, and then they'll they'll decrease after that, or do you think we're set in for a long haul? Of a lot more bankruptcies. I think the peak will be Q1 of 2020. I, yeah, I think we're about I to, I think it's accelerating. Uh, Q1 of any Q1 except for 2018, which is the anomaly, uh, is a soft market. And, you know, if you're not making money throughout 2019, you're probably going to make money through the first quarter. Yep. And a lot of people are at the, the breaking point. I think on the truckload profitability partnership uh, that, that is part of Sonar and, and, and Freight Waves, uh, is that uh, OR, the average OR, which is operating ratio and measurement of profitability, is 97, 98. Mm-hmm. So basically that's, that, that means that you're running on about a 2 to 3% margin, and you've been doing that for uh, probably nine months or so. And, you know, a, a lot of people, Celadon being a, a perfect example, are cash-strapped. No and, yeah, and you have a really booming economy too, which is uh, another. So we, we can talk about bankruptcy, right? But another is voluntarily closing down your trucking company or drivers leaving to go work construction. I mean, unemployment's well below four percent right 3. now, five percent, three point five. So, so basically, you have uh, opportunity for drivers uh, to earn better wages in construction. Uh, oil is still kind of depressed. If if you see oil shoot up a little bit. Not only does that increase the cost of operating a truck, but it means that drivers are, are going to, to head out to the oil fields where they can make much more money uh, on average. I'm I'm short. I'm to echo a lot of uh, of what Kevin just said. Um, I think that Q1 is probably the peak of uh, of failures, but I think uh, throughout the year they they decelerate. Uh, and these are my reasons why. I think the two largest input costs on a per mile basis of trucking is uh, driver wages and driver benefits, and then the, and the third or the fourth is insurance. And all of those are increasing substantially uh, through 2020. And those could be offset by a lower diesel price because diesel is that third largest cost. But you know, we, we think that diesel will be at least stable to slightly up in the next year. So not going to have that offset. So you have, a, you have a much higher cost base on a pretty much flat to possibly negative revenue base. 
So yeah, I think there's going to be some trucking companies fall, even some big ones here in the first quarter. But I do think it decelerates through 2020, and we have less in 2020 than we did in 2020 and 2019. Excuse me. Yeah, so we're three for three. I agree. I'm bullish on the the trucking market, um, and the particularly, I mean, stock market's hitting new all time highs. We've got a strong consumer. Good God, we might actually have a trade deal. Don't jinx it. I know don't Kevin jinx it. Looking at me, is saying, no, 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 no. But uh, I mean, if we get a trade deal, trucking is off to the races, um, and so we're, those awful rail volumes will turn the other way and do an about face. Um, but um, yeah, so great show this week, guys. As always, thank you for listening, and we're going to be back next week. Um, great quarter, guys, is available on uh, Apple. Uh, podcast, Spotify, Freightcast, and uh, we'll see you guys next week.